we're going to talk about a little bit about discipleship this morning. And I told Mark, uh, I said I was going to try to go back to two messages ago that I didn't finish, and then the last message I back a couple of months or so ago that I didn't finish because uh, I always got a lot more to cover than. And we're going to try to tie it all together today. And hopefully I won't get in the way of his word and, and all. But same thing in discipleship. We have instructions, right? We have instructions, right? But, but just like a guy putting together a toy for his kid, you know, or a man, you know, a lot of times we get where we don't think, we think we can, get, we can do this thing by ourselves. You know, we don't need to read the instructions. I don't want to take all the time to read the instructions. You know, I got this handle. But there's no way to do it without reading the instructions. And Al and I were talking about baptism last after last Sunday service, because he was obviously going to baptize Fisher, and uh, me and Ian need to be baptized. And so we were just talking about baptism, because remember, he's going through the book of Mark. In most churches today, baptism really doesn't entail everything that it's supposed to, you know, in the Scripture, right? I know when I got... Well, thank you. Alan said to bring that to me. (laughs) I know when I got baptized at 10 years old, that was just what you were supposed to do after you got saved, right? I didn't know all it entailed, and I don't think there's too many in here maybe that some of you might be, but I don't think anybody in my family of my seven, my five kids, got baptized with the full understanding of what that really meant. Because in the scriptures, that's really what you're declaring was not that, hey, I got saved, so I'm going to come up here and get dunked in the water so all you out there in the audience know I got saved. What you're really declaring is, I've decided I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what you're declaring. That's supposed to be the start of your discipleship. You've chosen to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Mark was going in the Berean Bible class, you know, he went through the whole thing in the book of Ruth, when he's talking about the barley harvest and the wheat harvest and all. But when you're buried in baptism, and then you're raised to walk in newness of life, well, the old man's supposed to stay buried and dead. That's the symbolism there. And you're raised to walk in newness of life. Now, does that happen throughout your Christian walk? No. But that's why, as Mark was talking about in his message, that's why there's 1 John 1, 9. Repentance is for believers, not unbelievers. You know, repentance, that change of mind in the literal, in the Greek, How does a dead man change his mind about how he's going to live his life? See what I mean? His spirit's dead. So repentance is for believers, not unbelievers. 
But I want to go back to Psalm 1 where we were, however long ago that was. Talk a little bit about Peter again. And then we'll jump over into the last sermon. And we'll try to maybe tie it all together. But remember Peter, one of the disciples, he was one of that inner circle, that three, Peter, James, and John. And we all know the story of what happened, but uh, let's jump back into Psalm 1 to start, and we'll see a progression like we were talking about. And like I've mentioned before up here, my mom always said repetition is the key to learning. Mark's mom phrased it a little bit differently. I think he's mother of all skills or something, but... It's good to go back over things, remind ourselves of things. So Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatsoever he does, he prospers. That's the blessed man. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And I can't remember how it's been a couple of months or three or four months back, but obviously you see the progression there in verse 1 of the, the blessed man and what he doesn't do in, in contrast to the wicked one who does these things. You could, you could flip it and say the wicked man walks in the counsel of the wicked and he stands in the path of sinners and he sits in the seat of the scoffer. There's that progression. When you fall away from your discipleship, as Peter did, you start walking around where you don't need to be. Then you get so comfortable, you start standing and having long Time, and then he end up just sitting down in the amongst them and hanging out. There's that progression there. <clears throat> so then we flip over to see Peter again, Matthew 26. In Matthew 26 and all the gospel accounts, but we'll start in Matthew's account. Matthew 26, starting in verse 47. And we're all familiar with these passages. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. So immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you've come for. 
Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached out and drew his drew out his sword, and we know from another gospel account, who was that? Peter. And he struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. So Peter thought the Christ needed a little help. So he took his arm of flesh and pulled out his sword and said, let's go to battle. So he said, or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put out at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? So once again, Peter, remember when Jesus was telling him that he was going to have to be crucified, and Peter said, no, Lord, this ain't going to happen, right? And what did Jesus Christ say to Peter at that time? Get behind me, Satan, because the Scripture says it has to happen this way, must happen this way. So Peter was in direct opposition to what the Scripture said had to take place. So he was associating himself with Satan and Satan's program. Verse 55, At that time Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Did it say Peter left him? I know we always single out Peter, and in the accounts it singles him out a lot of times. But what does that verse say right there? Remember, you strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. It says... All the disciples left him and fled. All right, but then we're going to hone in on Peter here. Verse 57, it says, Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But Peter was following him at a distance. Where are the other 11? I mean, we know one of them ends up inside and calls Peter in later on. Remember, all the disciples left him and fled. Then Peter began following him at a distance. So like we said before, he was in the inner circle. Now he's just following him at a distance. As far as the courtyard of the high priest, and he entered in, so he was walking, he entered in, obviously he had to stop and stand, but then what, it sort of skips the standing part. And what happens to him? He sat down with the officers to see the outcome. And then you go through uh, the, the council and all, and they're trying to bring up all these false charges against Jesus Christ. 
skip down after it, verse 64. It says, Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man, Messianic title, sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robe and said, he's blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you now have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fist. And others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? Verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. We won't go through the whole account. He went, being in the inner circle, then he was just following Christ at a distance. Then he came in and started standing around with the rest of them. Then he ended up sitting down and just associating himself with this group because we, go, we won't go through all the denials. Remember the servant girl walks up to him. So now he's running, trying to disassociate himself from Christ, right? Now this disciple thing, you know, it's, it's going to cost him something. So now he hadn't, I don't know if Peter at this point had really weighed the cost, you know. Remember the parable about, hey, when you're going to go to build a house, you better count the cost. Unless you get started and then you can't finish, right? So in his mind, I think Peter started count, sort of weighing the cost here. Hey, then this could cost me big time here, right? So maybe I sort of better start disassociating myself with this guy. You know. <clears throat> Back to Psalm 1. It said, the blessed man doesn't do that. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And obviously we know his law, the instruction book, right? The blessed man meditates day and night. And as we've said before, Mark sort of coined that term surface readers, you know, and I know all churches, uh, church we came from where we had the Brian Bible Sheet class, they pass out the read through the Bible and or the daily Bible readers where you can, you know how much you got to read every day to read through the Bible. And, and I'm not denouncing those programs. I'm just saying what we're talking about here in verse 2 of Psalm 1 is more than clicking off a number of chapters every day so that you can, at the end of the year, I read through the Bible in a year. But do you have any understanding of what you, what you just read through in a year? See, it says the blessed man meditates day and night on the book. He's more than a surface reader. He's more than a surface reader. He meditates day and night. He spends a little time reading the instruction book, right? Unlike Papa here that didn't want to read the instructions on the drone before he started trying to put it together and figure out how to fly it, because I'm a man. I don't need to. 
need that to put this little toy together. Of course, we didn't have toys like that when I was a kid. <laughs> I mean, that's a little more sophisticated. But still, we do that in our Christian walk a lot of times. I don't have the time. I even had a, a good friend of mine over at Grace Academy when I was trying to introduce him to the kingdom truths. Of course, he put up the block. Whoa, 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 what you talking about? <laughs> you know, so then I started taking it through. And he actually, this is what came out of it. He goes, how do you find the time to study all that stuff? <laughs> and he's the same age as I am. Went through Temple High School and Temple College. Been teaching in a Christian school for years. But that was the way it came. He goes, how do you find the time to study all that stuff? So we get busy. We get distracted, right, with the affairs of this life. Yeah, and I was pulling for the Cubbies last night. Sorry, Mark. I'm from Indiana. I actually grew up a Cincinnati Red fan because I'm from central Indiana, and Riverfront Stadium was just a jaunt down I-74, and you had the big red machine, right? Then when I was younger, they started trading all my big red machine away, and then we moved to Chattanooga, and I've actually become a really big Braves fan, as Bob knows. But, uh, but I was pulling for the Cubbies last night. I've been in Wrigley Field watching a game when it was Ferguson Jenkins and Ernie Banks, and they were playing their Giants who had Willie Mays and Willie McCovey. Only I'm dating myself now, I know. but So I was pulling for the Cubbies last night. No, it's 1948 since the Indians won. It's 1908 since the Cubbies won a World Series. 1945 since they've actually even been in a World Series. 71 years ago. But we get distracted with the affairs of this life. We can't let Hillary Clinton be president. If Christians don't get out and vote and she becomes president, right? Got a retired pastor friend that I'm Facebook friends with. Gets on there and posts on that. If Hillary Clinton becomes president, it's because Christians didn't get out and vote. Or, God forbid, disgruntled Christians went and voted for her instead of Donald Trump because they don't. We get distracted by the affairs of this life. Right? Because it's God's program to make America great again. What does the book of Daniel says? Who puts up kings and takes them down? Even to the lowliest of men or basest of men, as Jerry said. Right? So how did Barack Obama get in office? Because the evangelicals didn't get out and vote. Right? No, who placed him in there? 
The Almighty God did. And he did it to bring about his plans and purposes. Not to make America great again. He's going to bring about his plans and purposes. But we get distracted. Last week when Alan and I were talking about baptism and all the significance of that, I was also told him I was getting tired. (laughs) I go on Facebook because some of you guys know and post something in the morning, and I don't try not to spend too much time on Facebook, but I got so many believing friends and all are just going back and forth. And all about posts about worldly politics. They get distracted. Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Chapter 2, we've been there before too. Remember, we're trying to finish up the past two sermons, so I know if we're jumping around a little bit, but it's all hopefully coming from the Word and I won't get in the way. 2 Timothy chapter 2, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me In the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Who's soldier? Who enlisted you as a soldier? If you're a good soldier of Jesus Christ, the answer's already given you there, right? We're supposed to be soldiers of Jesus Christ. So it says no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. So remember, we were in Ephesians the last time. We were talking about the phrase that was used five times in the book of Ephesians. Anybody remember back? In the heavenlies, literally, in the Greek. Remember two of those times it's talking about the Christian's position in the heavenlies. Two of those times it's talking about Satan and his fallen angel's position in the heavenlies. And then one time it's talking about Christ being seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenlies. Right? So we're a soldier in Christ's army. Who are we supposed to be battling against? See? 
Remember, we wrestle not. Remember, I, I, I jokingly said not, and the Greek means not last message, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But how does Satan, the great deceiver, what's he he using to distract us? Some who we're supposed to be fighting against, right? Through the power of the Spirit. We're supposed to be fighting against that heavenly foe. But Satan gets us distracted and we get caught up worried about what's going on down here. How we can make America great again. Right? We got to get more believers elected into office so we can... What are you trying to do? Usher Usher in the kingdom down here on earth yourself? We get distracted easily. And we lose our focus of what we're supposed to be focusing on. Remember, what was Christ's focus? He said, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? That time when he was going to rule and reign in the coming kingdom. In his glory. And as our supreme example, we should have the same focus that he does, right? Remember the Israelites in the type, when they were baptized in the Red Sea and they came up on the shore, where was their focus supposed to be? They were supposed to be going to that earthly land, right? That earthly promised land. Well, the same thing when we are baptized, when we are baptized after we have believed, We're baptized, and we're associating ourselves, saying, I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So when we come up out of that water, we should be focused on the kingdom. Turn to Luke. I know we're jumping around, but turn to Luke. I'm doing it old school, too. I didn't even open up my iPad. I did open it, but then I shut it. Last chapter of Luke. Remember, Luke wrote Luke. <laughs> he also wrote Acts, right? So obviously, if John actually started the Gospels, like Genesis starts the Old Testament, if John started the New Testament because they parallel one another, you'd have Luke being the last of the Gospels going right into Acts, which is what we're going to do here this morning, and we'll wind it down real quick. Last chapter, Luke, verse 13. Behold, two of them, this is obviously the disciples, or the Emmaus disciples, as it's commonly referred as, or two. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. 
And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas, who was the only one that got named. We don't know who the other guy's name. Answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our scribes delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. Jump to verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So where did Jesus Christ take him? (laughs) To the Old Testament scriptures. And we know the story. They approached the village, and they asked him to stay with them. And then when he broke bread, their eyes were open, verse 31, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Read on. They got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Verse 36. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. Of course, they were all startled and frightened, thought he was a spirit. He asked for some food. They gave him some broiled fish. He ate it. He said, Hey, does a spirit have flesh and bone? Jump down to verse 44. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law and Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It had to happen. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Where did they take the two disciples on the Emmaus Road? To the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. Then when he appeared before the disciples here, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Then jump over to Acts chapter 1. We're not skipping the Gospel of John, which is obviously a great gospel, but since Luke... 
Verse 1 of Acts 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and what? Speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So he spent 40 days with them, 40, a complete period of time, complete number of completion in Scripture, speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Remember? The end of Luke, he was talking to him, and he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Then you jump over here to Luke's account in Acts. He spent forty days with them, talking and teaching them about the kingdom of God. And as Ken said earlier, Jesus Christ starts in Genesis, goes all the way through Revelation. All the scripture points to that seventh day. But just like Pop Pop's aren't going to get skilled piloting the drone unless he spends a lot of time reading the instructions and practicing those skills. If we want to be an overcomer and a true disciple of Jesus Christ, we've got to spend time in the instruction book and hone our skills through the power of the Spirit, which we were given. Remember? He gave us a helper who will guide us into all truth. But if you're not going to open the instruction book, you're just going to wing it on your own. Then you get easily distracted. You lose your focus. You start battling against the wrong foe. But remember, Peter did the same thing, but there was restoration. Because Peter did 1 John 1, 9, right? He did confess, and he repented, and he was restored. And then he was one of the leaders, obviously, the main speaker. After his falling away. I certainly don't want to get, keep getting distracted. I want to keep my focus. And I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray and then Ken come and lead us in a song. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability to still come and meet as a body of believers and to freely open your word. And we pray that we wouldn't get distracted, Father, that we wouldn't lose focus, and we'd fight the fight until the end. Let's thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.